I want to welcome you back to our Wednesday night Bible study, and if you've missed any of those, go to basschapel.church. You can see any of these Wednesday night. I keep talking about this series, When Sinners Say I Do. It's not just about marriage. We're talking about the fact that once we're saved, we're still going to struggle with our sin nature. I really encourage you, it's not about listening to me, I could care less about that, but to go back, this, is, this, this book has really helped me understand, hey, I've got something I'm going to have to deal with the rest of my life. And how do I deal with that in the power of the Holy Spirit and the freedom of salvation? So you can go back and listen to this. Uh, um, if you're on iTunes, uh, it's all connected to our website, basschapel.church. You can watch on YouTube or Facebook. You can share with friends. And also our Sunday morning services. I encourage you. This is a great way for you to share the gospel and those things or if you missed out on anything. And, um, also, uh, you know, you may be at home and, and for what do you give? If, you, if, if you're a part of our church, you can give through a secure P.O. box or uh, we have one service a week and uh, you can give that way or you can give online. But there's a lot of a lot of different things that we're doing in order to accommodate the season that we're in. And so I, I hope you're blessed by this. We have our virtual Sunday school at 930 on Sundays. And again, all those are online, too. And then our Sunday morning service, we are on Sunday evenings at 6 p.m. So, And if you have a prayer request or a need, feel free to contact the church. Uh, also, our mission is open on Wednesdays from uh, noon uh, to 12. And uh, if you need food or clothing, we can help you with that. Uh, you can call the church and those needs. We're excited that our men's Bible study will be starting uh, tomorrow, Thursday. It will be here at the church. Come to the gym. And it'll be at 8:30. Uh, you don't have to pre-study anything. We've been doing this for a long time, but we had to have a break for six months, and so we're excited about it. We'll have some coffee and donuts, and you have enough room to social distance. So uh, this is Thursdays at 8:30, and I encourage you if you have time to do that to be a part of that. And we've got some other things that'll be coming up. But again, we just take these things uh, like the song says, one day at a time. Uh, we're going to be finishing uh, this chapter was so long, we kind of did half of it, and so we're still in the chapter, and we're going to start um, and the, after the section says, Mercy After the Fact, Covering Sin. While you're always aware of our own temptations, you've truly been trying to love with kindness, talking about and treat others as you would want to be treated. We talked about that. You know, uh, what Matthew says, treat the golden rule, treat others the way you want to be treated. You've been careful to try to please God in how you respond, and yet once you know, it happens, your timing was bad, and you did something bad, or you, you did it in the flesh. So you're in that awkward place where something isn't right, but it, but it can't be resolved. What do you do? I feel like I kind of live there sometimes. You know, you put your foot in the mouth and continue to put the other foot in, and you know what I'm talking about. Maybe you didn't know this, but the Bible gives us a special privilege in dealing with sin committed against uh, others and against you. It's called forbearance. So we're talking about the fact, now we go on to sin that's been committed against you. And there's a lot of different ways we can respond. And we've been talking about, like last week, and we're continuing to talk about the fact of grace, how we need it. We need to give it to others. And I don't know, you may not be grumpy in the morning, or you may not. We talk about road rage. I don't feel like I have that. But when I'm by myself, I don't sit there and cuss. But, you know, I can tend to call some people idiots on how they drive. And I know I could probably drive up an idiot sometimes, too. But last week's uh, uh, topic that we talked about, we're continuing, just was like, God gives you grace. You need to give others grace. And that's really hit me right where I live. And so this is part of this. You've been wrong, you've been sinned against, and how you deal with it, one of the things we're going to talk about is called forbearance. 
And this means that you can bring love into play in such a way that you can cut someone free from the sin against you without even them knowing it or acknowledging it, what they've done. Forbearance is an expression of mercy that can cover both uh, the big sins and the small sins of life. And let's face it, small sins are the fuel of most big blazes. You know, you don't just get majorly mad at somebody overnight. And so we need to understand that. So let, let's be careful here. He talks about forbearance doesn't mean we tuck sin away for another time. It's not a variation on patience, nor is it uh, Christianized external niceness, as he says here, where you pretend, uh, pretend nothing bothers you. It's not even ignoring the sin in the sense of refusing to acknowledge it. And forbearance, he says, we know or at least suspect we've been sinned against, somebody's wronged us, but we actually make a choice to overlook the offense and to wipe the slate clean, extending a heart of gratitude and forgiveness and treating the apparent sin as if it never happened. Proverbs 19.11 says this, Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. I really want to stress that doesn't mean we overlook and say things are right when they're wrong. But it's when to do that, when to acknowledge it, when to confront. I kind of think, especially now in the generations to come, and with electronics, which those aren't bad in themselves, but as we get further, and then even with the COVID virus, as we get further away from physical interaction, we can, this could be a more dangerous uh, side to this, that I'm going to overlook this, I'm not going to deal with something I need to deal with. But forbearance, forbearance is like, okay, I can eat this, I can suck it up, that person can't handle if I do this, and I need to do it this way. Of course, righteousness demands that we address sin of another, even if even if that may create some unpleasant results. But it's not forbearance to suppress an offense that can be readily released or to prefer the pain of being sinned against to what you imagine would be the greater pain of discussing it. Or let the pattern of sin your, uh, another go completely unaddressed. You've got to go by the Holy Spirit. Sometimes you got to put your big boy pants on, your big girl pants on, and deal with it. But there's a lot of times you got to put those same pants on and just accept it for yourself so that person can grow. And I'm thankful for those that have had forbearance and given me forbearance in my life. Forbearance applies to specific instances of sin. Applies to specific instances of sin. It involves a clear-eyed realization that we have been sinned against and that then a bold-hearted, gospel-inspired decision to cover the sin with love. That's the verse I'm learning right now is Romans uh, 13, I think, 8. Oh, no man, any, oh, no man, anything. And it goes on, I'm trying to learn in the version, but accept the debt of love. We owe to love people. First Peter 4, 8 says this, above all, knowing, above all, keep love, loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. When we're sinned against, we can cover it, override it, and you will have do this with the perspective of love. Thus, uh, forbearance includes a commitment to earnestness in our love, actively holding ourselves accountable to, uh, to keeping the sin covered. Uh, especially, maybe they continue to do that, and that may be something you have to deal with later, but we're talking about when God tells you to cover that. And to cover the sin with love in an effort, in effort removes the sin committed from the field of play. In other words, that's not there anymore. This can be extremely helpful during certain seasons. Um, 
Uh, often in life, we're working on big issues and process that can be derailed by the small things that could have taken forbearance. Sometimes, excuse me, petty sins can be frequent as to leave us discouraged about making any progress at all. And so we have to weigh this out. Is it time or is this something I need to overlook? Uh, when we get back to Luke chapter 6, which uh, most of this is what we're talking about, you look at verse 17, it says this, And he came down with them, and he stood on a level place with a great crowd of disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of uh, Tyre and Sidon. And so we need to take a step back. We said 17 tells us that Jesus was speaking to two groups. He was speaking to a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people. The second group, the great multitude of people, was just like you and me before we became Christians. People who had, who had really had little clue and they needed a savior. They were there for the world, the, for to hear Christ speak and to see him heal, heal people. They were there for the show, but not for repentance. And later many of them would turn to Christ calling for his uh, crucifixion, even his disciples would abandon him, and one of them would betray him to his death. There was not one person present that day who had not or would not sin grievously against the Son of God. Think about that. The call of mercy came from a merciful Savior himself. Next section. Mercy defeats our true enemy. Number, uh, I, we need to be aware of an ugly assumption that influences our relationship. It may go like this. I shouldn't have to deal with this aggravation of other people's sin. <laughs> I want you to think about that. I shouldn't have to deal with other people are idiots. You know, pastor. Well, I mean, you're thinking and I'm saying it, okay? I don't think I'm smarter than anybody else, but let's, then let's go back to what he's saying here. I shouldn't have to deal with the aggravation of other people's sin. So when it seemed that people are sinning against me, we react in ways that make perfect sense to us, and they seem reasonable and even righteous. Uh, we we feel righteous that I can treat them this way, and we're really truly being self-righteous. He, he brings some statements. Have you ever had any of these statements slipping past your lips? I can't believe you did that. I mean, I said it to him. I can't believe you did that. I don't deserve this. This is what we're getting in society all the time. One, you deserve better, or you deserve this, but everybody's snowflakes, and so we don't deserve any adversity in our life, and you good luck with that. I've got the right to be angry. And even Jesus was angry, but do we sin in that? He didn't. Why aren't you serious about change? I wish they get themselves together. And they make my life so much better. Just dripping with mercy, aren't they? I mean, uh, actually, they're leaking the hot oil of self-righteousness. We talked about two or three weeks ago that the junk, the sin in our lives, is the oil in the engine that builds up and overheats. And so this hot oil of self-righteousness, self-righteousness is this sense of moral superiority that appoints us as prosecutor for, uh, for other people's sinfulness. And we relate to others as if we are incapable of sin, Self-righteousness wages war against mercy. And about three weeks ago, we taught, or four weeks ago, we talked about who the chief of sinners are. That's us. And the log in our eye trying to get a speck out of our brother's eye. Mercy is, the most, is most necessary when we encounter the brokenness 
or the fragileness of of people in life. It shines in bright, particular experiences of life. The moment of sin and the moment of weakness followed by mercy and forgiveness. What a beautiful picture. Moment of sin, moment of weakness, followed by mercy and forgiveness. How we respond when we think about, when we think we've been sinned against can reveal self-righteousness. And society is just rampant with they wrong me. You know, in the sermon Sunday, I'm going to be talking about the hired hands in the vineyard. And, and so, uh, you don't want God to be fair. He's going to be just. But you want that grace. And so many times, we want the hammer to come down on everybody else, but not us. Have you dragged somebody in the courtroom of me lately? Um, here's some questions you need to ask yourself when you begin to judge and say this person has done me wrong. Am I self-confident that I have uh, that I have supposed the facts clearly? Am I confident that what the assumptions I have made that I have the facts? Am I quick to assign motives when I feel I've been wrong? Well, they must have wanted to do this or that. We're all a, a home psychologist and we're all mind readers. Right. Do I find it easy to build a case against someone that makes me seem right or and him or her seem wrong? I'm going to, this makes me, I, I'm right. And then do I ask questions with built-in assumptions, I believe I've proven right, or, I'm, or I ask impartial questions, the kind that generally seek new information regardless of the implications or preferred outcome. So am I honestly trying to seek the truth? Or am I just trying to be justified in what I'm doing? Am I overly concerned about who is to blame for something? We've got to find out who did this. You know, am I able to dismiss questions like these as irrelevant? In other words, why am I asking that? Do I need to ask that? Do we need to get grace? Self-righteousness doesn't show up when people sin against us. It also expresses itself when we enter the weakness when we encounter the weaknesses of others. The Bible understands weaknesses, weaknesses, areas of vulnerability to temptation that are different from person to person. We all, I mean, we can sit there and look at some people like, why do they struggle with that? I don't. But we're all different. And then they can look at us and say, why do we struggle with that? And they don't. We're not all strong in all areas, and some are more susceptible to discourage discouragement than others or anger or anxiety. Some struggle with physical weakness more than others. We all have we all have some weakness in some areas or else there would be no need for the power of God to operate in our lives. Romans 8.26 um, says this. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. How rich is that? That even when we can't express it, God knows. I've had prayers like that. God, I, I just don't have any words for this. He knows. How do I respond when the particular weaknesses in, uh, in another arises? Their weakness. How do you respond? Suck it up, buttercup. Get over it. Or that grace. Rather than sympathizing with the weaknesses and limitations of others, we act in condescending and demanding ways. We are firmly attuned to the weaknesses of others, but slow to see them in our own, ourselves. Very much so. Hebrews 4.15 says this, 
for we not have a high priest who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Would your, would, uh, when we look at others with weaknesses, do we, do, do we extend, extend to them mercy that Christ has lavished on us in light of that our weaknesses? Or do we just sit in judgment? Are we being Christ to them? The example. Again, that hit me last week. Are you giving the grace that's been given to you? We want it for ourselves. But so many times, sick of Jesus. James uh, 2.13 says this, for, the judgment is without mer- for judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. I think after the verse I'm learning, I'm going to have to put that one in the list of verses I need to learn. James 2.13 again, for judgment is without for judgment is without mercy the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Owe no one anything except the debt of, lo- debt of love and the fact that mercy triumphs over judgment. When we grasp the mercy of, of God expressed to us, it should open our eyes to the bankruptcy of our own righteousness and send us to the cross of Christ's righteousness. And we can sympathize with others' weaknesses and rejoice in our own that we have the strength of God. About every week before I get ready to preach, you know, I'm taking a little nap in front of everybody. No, I've got my eyes closed. And I'm trying. It's not that I don't enjoy the music or our crowd and the fellowship and the worship that we're having together. But I really want to focus on God and shut everything out. And this verse, 2 Corinthians 12, 9, constantly goes through my mind and I've learned it and because I'm sitting there I'm getting ready for the sermon I'm trying to focus on God and I'm like who am I? Who am I that these people would take an hour out of their life to listen to me? Who am I that you would take time online to listen to me? I am nothing but this is how we need to see ourselves. Second Corinthians 12 9 says this but he said to me My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses, so the power of Christ may rest upon me. You may say, how can that little country church do anything? Why could they? We can't. It's God. It's his power. You may say individually, how can God use me? He can't on your own, but through his power and his forgiveness and his Holy Spirit and his mercy, he can. We can do all things through Christ who gives us our strength. Grace and mercy. Um, As John Stott has said, God's power operates best in human weakness. Weakness is the area in which God can most effectively manifest his power. Because people sit there and scratch their head and say, how could this person do that? God. His mercy, his forgiveness, his Holy Spirit. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Nothing has changed. In fact, uh, mercy has been triumphed, has been trampled on and abused, but it just. Uh, but in fact, mercy has been trampled on and abused. It just doesn't produce results. But we must go back and say, you know, what is the purpose of mercy? Do I extend mercy to get a response? So when we say I give mercy, but it's not doing any good, you need to ask the question: Well, did I do mercy so it'll be nice to me, or say thank you? I want to be honest with you. It, it's not about me, but in our society, please, adults, say thank you. And teach your children to do that. That's just respectful. But if we don't have that common thing, 
How are we going to recognize? And it starts with God. God, I thank you that you saved me, that you restored me. That count your blessings, name them one by one. What uh, What is the purpose of mercy? But so many times we extend mercy and we say they didn't say thank you, so they didn't get it. Do I extend mercy to get a response? Are the results uh, the point? No. Is mercy some spiritual coin in which I, I, which I purchase good behavior? Well, if that's the case, it hasn't worked in, in, for children and stuff. And you go back to Luke 6, Jesus makes it clear that mercy does, every, uh, does, does carry a promise. But it's, promi- but it's a promise of reward, not results. You go back to uh, verse 35 of Luke 6, says this, But love your enemies and do good to them. And lend, okay, this is the part that gets me, that I need to know. Expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be the sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Luke six thirty-five. So, Jesus never promises to change our enemies. To the extreme case that encompasses all cases, what he has in view of us is a loving relationship with our Father in heaven that will increasingly eclipse any hateful and hurtful actions against us. This is the end. This is the thing. This is why I've had to learn so many verses on focus. First Corinthians two two five decided to concentrate only on Christ Jesus and his death on the cross. Isaiah twenty six three. He will keep in perfect peace all whose thoughts are fixed on him. Because what we want to do is constantly look at the other person. And we need to look at God. And the more we look at God, it's amazing how a child can go through a difficult circumstance, but yet if they look at mom and daddy's hands while they're going in their eyes and at them while they're getting the shot, it may not be as bad or they're not going to know when it happens. You see what I'm saying? Our focus is wrong. We want to be justified, and then that's why we get mad, and that's why we don't really show true mercy. Does mercy try over judgment? What do you think? He came across... Let's go back to these words from Shakespeare. The quality of mercy is not strained. It drops as the gentle rain from heaven upon the place beneath it. It is twice blessed, and it blesses him and gives him that takes. Mercy is never strained because it is able to cover all that it touches. Think about it. It is able to cover all. It sweetens all that it touches because it is from heaven. Mercy is a blessing to those who receive it and those who give it. And take all you can get and don't forget to pass it on. I'm going to say that again. Mercy is a blessing to, to those who receive and to those who give. And take all you can get and don't forget to pass it on. I think we're good on the first part. I think on the second part, we get a little selfish. And then you need to ask the question, have I really received mercy if it doesn't come gently off me? Where are you at today? You're trying to do things your own. You're trying to live right and all this thing. You're not going to ever be good enough to save yourself, and I won't ever either. Receive Christ today, right now. Admit you're a sinner. The first, the, the scripture, I've been talking to our, our church people about learning scripture, and I just finished. I'm probably going to mess it up for you, but, you know, I wanted to learn a scripture that encapsulates the gospel. And 1 Corinthians 15 uh, verses 3 and 4 says this, For I delivered unto you what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance to Scripture, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to Scripture. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4. That is the gospel. A, that I admit that I'm a sinner. B, I believe Christ died and rose from the death for our sins. C, 
see, I confess him as Savior and Lord. Romans 10.9 says, Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord, and what Romans 10.9 says is, If we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Christ is risen from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Do that now. Ask Christ in. Let us know. We'll help you as you begin that new life. But for the rest of us that have done that, I struggle with the giving of mercy. I want everything to be right. And again, great parable this week in Matthew 20, verses, I think, 1 through 16 that we're going to look at that talks about the hired hands and everybody came in at a different time. It's all about mercy. It's all about grace. But so many times we can look at those that come later and say they need to pay. Well, you know what? I'm wrong when I think that. I want mercy for myself, but I do pretty bad on passing it on. Maybe that's where you're at. I encourage you to remember the mercy that's been given you and to give it to others. To practice forbearance when you need it and to speak the truth in love when you need to. Remember these things. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the opportunity to be here. I pray that we never grow tired of living and and breathing in your mercy, but also breathing it out to others. And dear Lord, I pray you bless everyone here physically and spiritually during this time. I pray you guide our church. I ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.